Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Teams at Work, a podcast for the new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or company to learn about their journey and get actionable tips along the way. I'm your host. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Bunch. My team and I are on a mission to help all managers become great leaders. We're building an AI leadership coach to help you become a world-class leader with as little time invested as two minutes a day. Before we kick it off today, don't forget to subscribe as we're always having super interesting guests come and join us. Today we have a very special guest, Alex Weber, the Chief Growth Officer at N26, the latest Berlin-based unicorn. N26 wrote a success story like no other startup in Berlin. However, Alex's journey at N26 is actually almost even more impressive. Starting out as an entrepreneur in residence when the company was not even 10 people, um, Alex was responsible for first building up the customer success team from ground up, then factually making N26 a bank by obtaining a banking license, and then moved on to lead the N26 international expansion efforts. And today, Alex, you lead the international expansion team and the growth team as chief growth officer. Um, super excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you very much, Daria. The excitement is all on my side. Awesome. Um, I want to not hold back and actually jump into the first questions. Just a couple of trivia facts on N26. I'm sure you guys know. However, N26 is actually quite large at this point in time already. It's 1,500 people. Am I right? Yes. Awesome. And has offices in Berlin, Barcelona, New York City, Sao Paulo, and Vienna. So, uh, yeah, almost made like a joke about if you want to apply at a job, you can work in Basel <laughs> cities at N26. Um, but it's not all about N26 today. It's mostly about Alex's experiences. So, Alex, tell me, going from an entry-level role, so an entrepreneur in residence, which is kind of like the right hand of founders, um, basically out of college, to a C-level executive, basically the highest level of decision-making in the company, at a unicorn company in only a handful of years. That's quite a journey. How do you learn and grow fast enough to keep up with the pace? How do you do it? So I think it all starts with the mindset that you bring every day to the company. So for me, you know, my long-term vision is to be a founder myself. So I was heavily debating with myself uh, if I should start my own company or join something very, very early stage and uh, joining some something like N26 uh, as for one of the first 10 employees was a was a very clear decision for me because I knew I could learn so much and I could um, basically treat the company as if it were my own because we were so early on. And um, the fact that I was not a founder, it was never, never a topic for me. So for me, it was always very much about knowing and feeling like, you know, we need to make this successful. We are you know, disrupting the banking scene and bringing bringing kind of better better banking products to customers around the world, and um, you know that that sort of mindset is the starting point for you to then figure out all the answers that you need. Um, you know, you need to stay persistent. You need to have a passion for long term goals. I mean, I'm almost for six years now in the company. Uh, we had a, we have a big vision, uh, and therefore it's it's something that doesn't happen from one day to the next. So you need to sign up for that longer term journey. I always tend to think of it as a fast paced marathon, uh, like always the saying, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but it's a fast paced marathon. 
I think in terms of how I keep up, for me, it's about making sure that I get get connected with a lot of people who've maybe gone through similar experiences or have gone through similar roles at similar companies uh, and, and really get input from people who've actually done what you're about to do. Uh, that's that's one big thing that I always try to to focus on. And the other is to just always be learning every day, kind of thinking about what went well, what didn't go well, reflect at the end of the day, reflect at the end of the week and uh, seek out based on those kind of points how you can constantly improve. That's super interesting because I think learning and reflecting is such a key element to growth, specifically as a leader, but it's so hard to kind of bake into your daily practices. So a question to you, do you actually like use diary or what's your what's your method of actually keeping the reflection going regularly? Yeah, so I have a, I love basically taking handwritten notes. Uh, so I have this big A4 kind of moleskin journal uh, that I, you know, that I just grab whenever I want to. So I, I try to get there every day, but mainly once on the weekend, I take a little bit longer time to actually write. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my... pretty amazing building digital products and then reflecting no, handwritten. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's very good. Awesome. Um, maybe zooming into that transition from your previous role as mm -hmm. director of international expansion, then going and actually kind of merging the, the internationalization team with mm -hmm. the marketing team mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. one united growth team, which spans about 100 people now, so quite mm -hmm. large. You stepped into a role where you didn't necessarily have the full background. So you came from from the internationalization um, field, but then also kind of inherited all the marketing people. Um, and not being an expert in that area, being responsible and the last decision maker in line in that area. Mm -hmm. um, how did you build trust with your team? Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, what did you learn going through that process? Yeah, no, it was absolutely fascinating process. I mean, in most of my roles that I took on at N26, I was new to the subject, but uh, evidently had a clear picture of what needed to happen in, in the bigger company picture. Uh, and so I've really enjoyed the last six months in terms of getting to know all the intricacies of, of marketing, uh, which evidently in any company you want to build in the future is an essential skill to have. So, you know, for me, it was something where I knew this is going to be a fantastic uh, learning opportunity. But to your question, so, you know, coming into this team, coming uh, coming into that new new challenge, it was for me really first about really deeply seeking to understand on what went well, what didn't go well. So and, and also getting to know everyone. I mean, I still think, you know, with with any teams under 100, 150 people, you should know everyone. So my first six weeks were really mainly one on ones or also then meeting with the different functions as a, in a team sort of. So I tried to have focus areas, you know, one one function sort of per week where you then met everyone individually and then you did a workshop kind of and obviously spend a lot of time with the with the leader of that function as well. To really understand uh, what the priorities should be going forward. What are the things that, that need to change? What are the things that are really going well and, and, and maybe don't need to be on the top of your priority list? Because there are so many things that in order to effectively prioritize, it's absolutely key to to understand kind of the weak spots and, and the strengths of, of the team that you're new to. Mm. One of the main things, one of the main learnings for me, I would say in the first three, four months and what I've then also changed afterwards was that you know, there was a certain tension between a couple of the teams that mm -hmm. I that I took over. And uh, for me, it was very important to leave that behind and move forward as one united team with one one vision, one one basically goal oh, that God. we were pursuing together. 
And because I was new to the subject and because there was this tension to some extent, I wanted to, I reflect to have been perhaps a little bit too consensus driven in decision making. So we had, um, I defined kind of a leadership team within the growth area, which was, which I defined very wide because I wanted to make sure that all the different. How big was it? It was, I would say 12 people. Yeah. And so those meetings, you know, if you have 12 people in the meeting, you, that's not a good size for decision making, especially if there was some historic tension and every, everything's coming together. So and that, a new boss. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of feedback on, on the frustration of the ineffectiveness of those meetings. Uh, on the other hand, I, I really wanted to make sure I have everyone's perspective and I also wanted to have those people in a room as much as possible, mm -hmm. right? In order to overcome some of the uh, differences. differences. Nevertheless, I needed to change course and I needed to uh, define different ways of making sure that I get all the input, but in those decision meetings have a group size that, that makes sense for decision meetings. So um was difficult, but I had to define basically the, uh, a group that I would meet regularly for decisions and uh, I had to structure different kind of meetings and one-on-ones with the people who no longer were then part of that kind of decision meeting group to make sure they I, I get the input and, and they also feel very much valued as, as a key contributor in the overall growth team. So just to follow up on the first part that you mentioned where you said it's really important to you to actually get to know everyone. Did you actually meet all 100 people or approximately 100 people in all those teams over those weeks that you were going from function to function? Yeah, I did. I did. That's was... super interesting. It's really... Really cool. And then after 10 weeks, we had a, an all-hands offsite. That was sort of the, the end of the journey, the intro journey for me, where I was, okay, let's spend 10 weeks and really get to know everyone. And then let's bring everyone together for two days and talk about, you know, what did we learn? Where are we going? Um, and so that was really good. Awesome. You're obviously super busy having 100 people in a halfway flat organization where you actually value having, knowing everyone and kind of like being at arm's length. Um I'm sure it's a very demanding role also because it's an interesting year for N26. Uh, definitely a lot of challenging goals, I can imagine, and a lot of growth happening. How do you avoid kind of not ever being able to shut work off? So I'm sure work plays a big role in your life, but it's obviously important to kind of like replenish energy and, and make sure you are balanced mm -hmm. to, to not run into burnouts and, and other exhaustion things. So how do you balance the demands that you have mm. in that job? Yeah, a great question. Um, obviously, I was thinking about that a lot in, in different roles over time. I think for me, it's it's uh, it's always really been about how do you carve out time where you really are not working, and for me, it's more about the focus that you have and kind of the let's say boundaries you set. So what I'm, you know, what works for me very well is I don't have any kind of notifications. So be it email or Slack or WhatsApp or so my phone is quiet. Um, so you're in, you're in control when you actually receive information. Yes, and and obviously my my team and and founders and whoever they know they can call me basically almost any time if something's really urgent. And then obviously if there's an incident or if any challenge occurs, then you're available. That's clear. But if not, then you actually are able to you know be with your friends or you know read a book in 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 full focus or just not work basically. So, you know, that's for me often also in early in the mornings. So when, when most... How early is early? <laughs> how early is early? Um, you know, in my past, I, I used to be a swimmer and we were often in training, you know, at five in the morning and then I was 
also in the army, uh, which is still mandatory in Austria, we also had to be there every day, every day at six in the morning. So I've always appreciated early morning. So, uh, you know, these days I get up between 5.30 and 6. Um, the secret to early mornings, by the way, are early nights. So I am a big believer in, in good sleep and, you know, not compromising on big sleep for the sake of getting up early. So I think that's a very important component. How um, do you, how, what do you do when you actually get like, you know, um, asked to speak at an event, which is happening in the evening and mm, you don't make mm. it to um, like home at 10, 10, 30. Yeah. No, it's, it's really about setting yourself up for success. And for me, what I learned was that I need, I need buffers on both sides. So for instance, I try not to do any kind of planned meetings after seven in the evening and not before 10, 30 in the morning. And then Okay, once you go to an event, you still have that buffer in the morning or you need to do something early in the morning of the buffer in the evening. So as long as one of them, ideally more than once a week, you do actually use both buffers for regeneration and uh, and work and sport and these things. But uh, if something comes up, you're you're not immediately without any time. Mm. Right? And I think that was a big change that I also made three uh, three months ago. After the first three months had really been super demanding uh, and I knew I needed to make sure that I take care of myself the same way I had, you know, the five years before. So so these kind of buffers are super important. For me. It's really interesting that you mentioned the first three months because I think that adjustment period is also um, something that I think um, to speaking to our audience, of course, um, is, is also something natural maybe. So um, while it's very important, I think, to get to a schedule at now works for you um it was also just maybe necessary that you went through that period where you actually were just kind of like complying with the demands and and running at the speed as anyone else kind of like made you run at that point um so i, th I find it really interesting that you gave yourself that time also to kind of craft a better way and then implemented it and since then it sticks but i'm really not sure about if if, if i would recommend to our audience to do it that way um or if you can learn from other people's mistakes and <laughs> in that case mine you know, like the more effectiveness and focus and calmness that I'm able to bring to to my team and to, to my work now every day is just so much, so much better. So, you know, I think especially when you start that maybe transition phase and, and super intense period, I think it's it's always easier said than done. Everyone also told me before, hey, take care of yourself, yourself included, by the way. <laughs> um, but for some reason, you you know, you really want to make it happen immediately with with the new challenge. But uh, again, fast-paced marathon, and I should have, I personally think I should have, uh, you know. Prioritized that earlier. Prioritized that earlier. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that learning. <laughs> so would you consider yourself ambitious? <laughs> <laughs> uh, ambitious always has uh, different connotations, but I think uh, it's probably difficult to, to say no. Um, <laughs> I see it as a very positive uh, positive attribute, and, and yes, I think I'm ambitious. Cool. What drives you? So what what motivates you to actually keep going and like keep going for long stretches of time? I mean, it's been a long journey now, mm, despite mm. of it uh, being quick in terms of success. But five years, the stamina and the persistence mm. is very, very impressive. So uh, what drives you? Well, uh, you know, when I was when I was quite young, when I was studying, I discovered my passion for entrepreneurship. I was uh, I was in Australia, I was studying abroad and I was I was surrounded by uh, super young Americans who were building their companies and who were just super excited about what they were doing. And that was eye-opening for me because I was always super passionate and excited about sports. You know, I used to be an athlete or 
also about what I was studying. I really enjoyed it. Like I was not the type of business school student who was at business school because he didn't know what, what to, else do, to do or basically <laughs> by default. I really enjoyed it. Um, but for me, it was always a question, what comes afterwards? And and I didn't find inspiration from the traditional business careers. So I, I didn't have friends who were in consulting, investment banking or others who were happy, excited people. Um, and so it was very difficult for me to understand, you know, what would I actually end up doing that fits with my uh, with my view on having a, a great life. And then seeing those entrepreneurs was like, aha, that's <laughs> it, you know, and um, what drove them or what, you know, different entrepreneurs are motivated by different things. But what I found most inspiring were the people who really were using entrepreneurship as a means to solve relevant problems, basically, uh, at a global scale. So also when I was studying, I was very much focused on, you know, microcredit and how that improves, uh, you know, people's lives at scale and actually structurally improves it, right? So for me, it's really about, at some point, like founding companies that solve these meaningful uh, global problems. Uh, and that's really, I think, entrepreneurship plays such a big role on how we will, as a society, also evolve for the next, you know, generation. And uh, yeah, that's just a super exciting thing to be part of. And that that basically, I that's what drives me, I guess. I actually meant to ask you this uh, a bit earlier in the, during the introduction, but um, then scooped over it. But it's still an interesting question. How did you decide to go with N26, actually, when you were kind of looking at, at startups and mm. things like what made it interesting for you? Yeah, so, you know, I was, after that experience in Australia, I was very much debating with myself if I should, like those guys and girls, try and directly figure it out and start my own company, or if I should uh, have a look at how, you know, other startups are doing it, how founders that are already in the, have already founded, how they're getting along. And, uh, you know, sometimes in life also it's coincidences. So a good friend of mine knew a friend of Valentin, uh, the founder and CEO of N26, uh, who in that circumstance was looking for this entrepreneur in residence to join them super early on. Um, sounded super exciting. They had a big vision. They wanted to change banking, um, you know, something that is a relevant, meaningful topic from my perspective. And so I heard them out and uh, met them and uh, decided, you know, why not join them for six months, a year and see what happens. Uh, after three weeks, there was no looking back. Right? Uh, it <laughs> it's was, been almost six years exactly, now. Exactly. It's been almost six years now. But it's 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 the best uh, learning environment I could have ever imagined in, 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 in the context of what I want to do with my life later on. Um, and so I've been really, really grateful for, for the last six years for working so close with, with them and with all the other great people that uh, I've, I've worked with over the last years. Cool. Again, a good moment <laughs> to give the opportunity to consider N26 opportunities. Seems like a great company to join. Um, how Maybe let's talk a little bit about leadership and what it means to you and um, what your style is and whether that changed over time. Because I can imagine kind of like starting very young and then also like being heads down, building parts of the business, like banking license, customer support, no easy task, a lot of operational stuff. You still developed a very kind of like unique style on how you lead and what you think about teams, how you want to build them. Walk us through how do you see that part of your yeah. work life? No, it's interesting. For me, always it was one of the most fascinating elements whatsoever because I, I know that what makes a difference of super successful companies and average or normally successful companies is 
culture, which comes from leadership, which, you know, is ultimately about having the best people doing their best and most meaningful work, right? Um, and so in the beginning, in, in the roles that I had in the beginning, it was really about, obviously, also myself, really, with with my own kind of work uh, contributing to, to my objectives. So, you know, uh, when setting up customer service in the beginning, I was personally talking to customers and then over time kind of hired and scaled the team. So there it was quite easy to, to you know, lead by example because you exactly knew what how it is to to take a call where you need to document the call what problems customers have so in those early teams basically which were more operational i would say that was kind of the key so um and i, I had that from my past with, with swimming with other things it was this leading by example that mm-hmm. you know really was resonated for me um mm-hmm. and which i tried to demonstrate in in, in those teams over time, uh, or basically uh, embedded in that thought of leading by example, is obviously this enablement, mm-hmm. right? So basically, by leading by example, you also are a role model, you teach, or you show and empower others to actually then also do their best work. Mm-hmm. And as my roles evolved, and I was working with a lot more, also you know, experienced subject matter experts, be it on banking, be it in in the different countries, be it now in with with marketing leaders. It's really an the sense of enablement. So obviously, I know the company very well. I know the context very well, and then they contribute and 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 bring kind of their uh, expertise. And and for me, it's about how can I make this person successful at N twenty six. Basically, I would say enablement is the key key word. But at the same time, it's also to some extent uh, an element of challenge is also there, right? Because you always need to. Uh, make sure that uh, that in the context of N26, the people are uh, moving in the right direction. Um, and so always being being close, asking questions um, and, 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 you know, facilitating their success, but also, you know, having those high standards that, that we in general have in, and also need in order to move fast and be, you know, the best uh, in the world. So I would say it's a mix of, of enabling and challenging. You mentioned that you actually got to lead a lot of experienced people and like subject matter experts. Um, which learnings did you gather there? Because I can't imagine it's it can be tough, and, and we we get these questions actually um, often. Specifically, that one when I have someone who's much more experienced, also much more senior than myself. How can I actually establish trust with that person? Maybe also thinking back to the projects you've done, the banking license. I know you work with a lot of kind of very senior executives and, and subject matter experts there and so on. Um, what were kind of the key moments that where you felt, oh, now I actually established trust? Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? Well, I think it was always because for me, I'm usually quite clear on what needs to happen also for that person to be successful and what we need from that role, that function, that person to contribute to the bigger picture. So, you know, connecting what needs to happen to what that person can contribute to so building this kind of you know mm. that's where we are today and that's where we need to go and i know that you can get us there and you can help us and i'm here to support you along the way and tell me what you need from me that's always a great starting point so you know when when you manage to get those give those people the context they need to have in order to to build those plans um so i think that's that's a starting point and then you know it's 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 just being there every day and it's it's whenever they actually have an obstacle either to already have anticipated it mm-hmm. because obviously you know 
a new joiner comes who's a subject matter expert where you know, okay, that's the five other people had those challenges. You you already anticipate it. And, and you supply them with the solutions. You exactly. Don't wait. Yeah. You, you don't... So if you know you don't let them run against the wall and then say ah by the way there's the wall but you 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 help them and 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 say well you know a lot of people were already running into this wall here here how about you know walking around walk, it. Yeah. <laughs> here's the path walking around it uh, yeah here's the path and then also really being able to quickly provide resolution to any challenge that they have which typically I can because I just know the organization inside and out and uh, you know basically that's that's really my my value that I that I can bring to the table in any circumstance is, is trying to connect the dots and, and have have also the connections and, and the history with, with why, thing, why, why things are the way they are. Cool. Um, last but not least, uh, maybe a little bit kind of like more from a personal note, when working on your team, when working mm -hmm. directly with you, what's important? What are kind of like your do's and don'ts? Mm. Um, Great question. Um, let me have a think, probably a lot of things, but to, to prioritize. I mean, what I usually uh, place a high value on is is this si similar level of ownership mindset. So obviously, I don't expect everyone to have the life ambition to start their own company and therefore really kind of have this entrepreneurial ownership mindset. But, you know, ownership mindset doesn't necessarily only come from owning a company, but owning your topic and caring deeply about the success of your team and your topic and, and therefore being ultimately accountable for your outcomes. So what's what's difficult is when, you know, people always have a reason why things didn't work that's outside of their circle of influence. So, you know, it's we don't have a, we don't have this, we don't have that, I didn't have the budget, I didn't have the resources. Those things typically I I, I dislike. Um, so I, I, I very much appreciate when someone just takes accountability for the outcomes. And then has an objective conversation with me on why those outcomes are the way they are and how how can we improve them. So, ownership mindset for me is key, um, which also means proactivity, thinking ahead, like what I described before. The second point is around really establishing this strong, also meaningful relationships. Right. So we spend so much time at work. Um, it's for me personally, I strongly believe in building a culture where you also have meaningful relationships with your colleagues and. You know, that ultimately is also the foundation for you to be able to give feedback, you know, mm -hmm. on a daily basis, especially also when work is not done well. Right. So for me, it's also very important to help people get better by telling them also what, what didn't work, um, but also receive that, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's sort of trying to establish a culture where that's just perfectly normal um, is, is one of my top priorities. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe one more thing is this learning culture that I try to create, right? Where we, after every project, we try and sit down, do a retrospective. What did we learn? Let's not make the same mistakes again. Let's always always get better um, at things that happen on a repeated basis. Um, and also trying to help all the people like actually have a clear also, you know, development plan for, for their skills. We discussed this also, uh, you know, outside of this podcast in, in the context of What are people's life goals? How can you break down the 18-month plan? And how can you potentially, by knowing that, which is part of creating these meaningful relationships, also help them to work on projects that move them in that direction? Right? So I think also maybe some of the some of the points. Yeah, the radical candor framework is um, is what comes to mind. I think it's a really really good, efficient, and effective kind of like three part conversation. Um, I'll be sure to plug in the link um, in the podcast description for you guys. Um, 
last but not least, I actually like asking this question because I think reflecting on your story and being a founder myself, obviously, like the first question that spins to mind, like we all need Alex's in our companies. Um, it's a bit of a running joke, I think, between us at this point, <laughs> but it is really true. I think um, the the I think the question that I kind of like from a founder perspective have always is. What can founders do, not only in like looking for people? I mean, that's kind of, as you said, it's kind of going out there, telling people that you're looking for your right hand, that you're looking for an entrepreneur in residence. There's many ways to go for networks and, and ecosystems and things. But kind of, I think the more interesting question is, what did the company, what did the founders actually do to enable you to grow and like to stay? So mm. what are the guidelines that mm. you can share for other mm. founders? Well, as you mentioned, it's first of all, it, you know, different people have different motives. So if you if you have someone who really, really wants to make it happen and where, you know, you know, they're coming actually and they know to make a company successful, it takes six to 10 years and they're ready kind of for that and, and really want to really want to own it, then then that's a great starting point. If you have someone like that joining your team, then I think, you know, the three things that I, I would recommend would on the one hand, obviously give them participation like to some extent if if they feel like an owner obviously they won't get founder shares but uh you know at least sort of show them the upside um second point is always uh have them contribute to the topics that are of strategic importance to to the company so you know over those four challenges that i've had over the last six years i always clearly understood how they are related to the current big challenges of the company. So, right. So I think that was always for me, very exciting or, or something where I knew, uh, I very much understand the founders. I very much understand the business. I very much understand the challenges. So I would love to try to help where I can have the most impact, but, mm -hmm. um, so therefore sort of trying to, to be close to the topics that are really relevant. And third is, I think always try to those projects anyway have that by nature, but but to make sure that you always give people uh, a project or a responsibility that's slightly outside of their comfort zone, comfort zone, or mm. or like uh, yeah, so something where where they can see aha, in order to really excel at that, that's sort of where I need to accelerate myself again. Um, and it's knowing kind of how far out of the comfort zone that is. I think it's also wrong to to uh, if you know that you you're gonna set that person up for failure, obviously don't do it. So. Try and try and find. It's a fine balance. line, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. Um, this has been extremely insightful as always. Um, I yet again did learn new things. I think it's, it has been uh, there have been a, a few of these conversations. But um, thank you, Alex, for shedding always new perspective and kind of bringing in very authentic moments, also of reflection and learning um, that are very valuable. I think for our audience and uh, anyone who actually is in the entrepreneurship realm. Um, yeah, thanks so much for being here. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Daria, also for the thoughtful questions. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let me know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find me on Instagram at Daria Gutnick and start a conversation there. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned that my team and I are building an AI leadership coach to help you become a world-class leader in just two minutes a day. It's coming out very soon on the Apple App Store. If you want to get early access, though, head over to bunch.ai and simply sign up. And thanks again for listening. I'm your host. My name is Daria Gutnick. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Bunch. If you liked today's episode, make sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.